before we watch the first game, let's meet Rockford's manager. In this inning, the players get to know Jimmy Dugan, face hecklers, and even star in a newsreel. But first, let's check in on the current state of baseball. Back to 1943, a better time for baseball. Welcome back to A League of Their Own, one inning at a time. We're here today, Rachel and myself, Tierney. You know, it's really weird. we got to figure out <laughs> introductions for <laughs> oh, <yeah>. the interviews. <laughs> we are back and we are talking to Chris Epting today. Hey oh, there. Chris, we connected via Joe versus the Minute, right? I'm not hallucinating that. No, I think I think that was it, yeah. Okay. So why don't you tell people where you're from other than your fabulous time guesting on this other podcast I was on? <laughs> where I'm from originally? If we're all influencers and all personal brands, where do you hail from uh, uh, online? Well, I mean, I'm a writer, you know, I, I mean, I'm a writer and, and that's that's why I get asked to go speak places, you know? <laughs> I'm a big baseball fan, so part of my world is, I've written a number of baseball books, and I love baseball history, and so, you know, I live in a kind of couple of different regions creatively. One of them has tried, you know, written a number of travel books and pop culture books and things, but at heart, I'm a baseball fan, and that's where, for me, my most passionate work, I think, comes from, uh, from the game and the history of the game, and traveling around, finding historic places from the game, you know, and that's what, if I had my druthers, that's what I would do all the time, you know. <laughs> <laughs> little hard to do this year. Yeah. Uh, well, it is and it isn't. I mean, a lot of the places I go are where, ball- where ballparks used to be. So it's oh, actually wow. pretty easy to go, <laughs> yeah. you know, find a parking lot where Ebbets Field may have been or the polo grounds. <laughs> or something. Uh, so in that aspect, this doesn't hurt me that much. But yeah, I definitely miss going to games and miss, uh, you know, road tripping to baseball games and things. And, and it, it's, it's super frustrating to think that we're into, you know, approaching the end of May and there has not been a pitch thrown yet this yeah. year. So hopefully that'll change soon. Although a lot of the options I've been hearing, I'm not thrilled with, but Mm, I guess beggars can't be choosers at this point. Yeah, I I think I'm the same way. I'm not enamored with any of the proposals I've seen so far. I think there's serious issues with each one, but I do miss baseball. I've gotten really excited about the Korean baseball organization. (laughs) That's weird. I know. It's like... Their games are so early and I love it. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's something. I mean, it's something. But again, it's... uh, I I still don't... I don't know. I just don't know yet what what they can do. You know, their hands are tied in a lot of ways. So, you know, there's only so much we can expect. And it's obviously, if anything gets done this year, it's going to be super limited and, you know, probably relegated to just a couple of places geographically. So, you know, it's just you sort of have to take a pass this year, I guess. And maybe, you know, maybe we'll get lucky and get a little something you know, in, but, but who knows? I I don't know. And think how lucky the future baseball historians are because they're going to have this beautiful, weird year to write about. (laughs) Yeah. I know. And you know, that's kind of strange too, because I remember I was talking to somebody, I've been working on this kind of semi-secret baseball book project with a, with a really famous baseball figure going to his house once a week and, you know, uh, dealing with his life and kind of getting it all in order and stuff. And I think he was going to spring training the day before they they canceled it 
And what was weird about that was that day, one of the announcers from the team he's associated with came over to his house and was saying, he goes, you know, it was so sad. He goes, because yesterday, the day they stopped spring training was the day of like the final cut. We're all at the the rookie camp where everybody was going to find out if they were sort of moving to the next phase, you know? And he says, so everyone just got sent home. Well, this is like 18, 19 year old kids, you know, like in Montana, they're the greatest catcher who will ever live, Mm -hmm. you know, in that little town. He goes, the next season will be a whole new crop of, of players so that was kind of it you know that was their shot and I thought wow that's the that's the stuff people don't realize I mean yeah. you know that you missed your major league games but otherwise there's there's a whole other kind of backstory that goes on and and it's a lot tougher than I think people realize in terms of who really pays the price with something like this you know and and so it trickles down obviously like every industry it trickles down into a lot of different aspects and and one of which are those those up-and-comers who are going to have their shot and without spring training it's like they, they've missed it. So I don't know. There's a lot of different elements to write about. I'm sure historians will, you know, bite into this uh, sooner than later and start trying to make sense of what it means to baseball. Because if you read it all about the 1918 pandemic, it didn't really change much of anything. You know, um, this the season got played and then it went into winter and everything was kind of fine. It didn't, there was no real stoppage of play per se. And it altered the World Series a little bit. But, but beyond that, you know, people still yeah. had baseball. Yeah. And it was really important to the country that baseball continue and so they figured out a way through it I'm not saying that's what we should have done this time but it was people always say oh the 1918 pandemic was just like this it really wasn't when it comes to baseball people got their full season they got their World Series even though like Babe Ruth got the flu that year there were a lot of really notable players who got it and survived so it's uh, I was gonna say you can make the argument that that was a bad like again it's a trade off no no it is it is and um, you know it's obviously a different age now we know a lot more and, and it's a lot easier to help prevent some of this stuff but still it's frustrating and I think I think some baseball right now would do a lot of people mentally spiritually emotionally would do a lot of good in the country <laughs> you know well that's we've been joking that we're just we're living a fictional 1943 series yeah. this year like, yeah. we are all in on <laughs> peaches and racing bells and the blue socks there you go well that's you know what it's good to have a passion and a you know a passion around a story like this that really allows you to sort of fantasize about how things could be right now. So you, you picked a good one for sure. Yeah. Now, did you know about the league much before this movie came out? Were you one of the few the proud? <laughs> I definitely did because it was, I, I used to really, and I still do like reading about how World War II affected baseball. And it was always intriguing to me how certain like really famous players went and like flew fighter missions and, <laughs> and then came back and, and, you know, A, could couldn't get to enlist quick enough for their country and came back after losing a couple of seasons and -hmm. still managed to, uh, in some cases, maintain Hall of Fame careers. But as part of that study, of course, you learn about the outgrowth and how our country accommodated its hunger for baseball, part of which was women playing, you know? And I think that was always just a remarkable story. And I I had a chance over the years to interview a number of women from that period. And I just was always intrigued by it. I think it was a real, that kind of national effort was so important to the back of the country it was it was bigger than baseball I mean there was I think there was a much higher plane that it was operating on in terms of the good that it did and, and you just had great characters you know and you had great you had good baseball I mean again it worked it, it was it was a totally viable entertaining product that people enjoyed and so yeah so I knew about it and then I did some more study about just how the film came to be and the documentary and all those things
things. And, you know, it's, 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 look, it's a wonderful story. And I think what was really, to me, a powerful part of the movie is that it brought baseball to people who may not have been big baseball fans before and mm-hmm. presented it in a way that was very human and very relatable and uh, introduced just sort of a whole new sensibility of, of, of what made the game, what makes the game special. And whenever you reach a new audience like that, it's a good thing. And I, obviously, I think pulled in more, a more female audience into it. But it's, it's just, it's, it's great storytelling, you know, and it's, um, it's a great part of our country's fabric. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's an important part of American culture. So yeah, I was familiar with it. And it was always sort of charmed by how it was all born. Yeah, it's so funny. I'm just now reading Mary Fiddler's The Origin and History of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League, the book that grew out of her thesis. And uh, she's talking about all the junior leagues that it spawned and all yeah. the parks departments and towns that had teams. And it's just... Softball leagues. It's we, amazing. The team, <laughs> we had a team here. In, I live in Orange County, California. And there was a team called the Orange County Lionettes in the 50s who were as popular as any local baseball team was during that period <laughs> and it, it was again it trickled down from that and it was competitive and it was interesting and it was entertaining and and yeah it spawned a lot of things it wasn't just that it uh, it influenced many things so yeah it's and, and, and it, it's a gift that still keeps giving I think you'll still find influences and in things that stem from what happened back in the early 40s from this and so yeah the movement is still alive I'd like to see more of it actually I'd like to see it reinvigorated on some level and uh, hopefully that'll happen at some point too definitely and uh with the movie since you knew about the league you were were you waiting for it to come out or what because i love this movie because it is a true hollywood movie that is history and baseball like it was made for me (laughs) i was about to ask and i uh, then i was like no i don't feel like getting yelled at by the internet that much today but i was like (laughs) is this the last of the great baseball movies because you think like the natural bull durham all that stuff was 80s and then well like what have been the great baseball movies i have to tell you i think this is one of them and i i sometimes movies that are considered great baseball movies that i just am not that crazy about that you're supposed to be crazy about um (laughs) one of them is field of dreams and (laughs) you know i i've tried a bunch of times and everyone will say to me, well, your, your favorite must be Field of Dreams. Because again, I like ballparks and all that sort of thing. And I don't know. It's never really worked for me on any great level. I think it's okay, but I just um, leaves me a little cold. I love The Sandlot. That's one oh, of my yes. favorites. Mm-hmm. I think League of Their Own is terrific. Uh, I was looking forward to it. Yeah, I remember actually knowing it was coming out. And I like when any baseball movie is coming out. And I liked the cast a lot. That was one of the first things. I remember seeing a trailer or two and thinking, wow, that's a really eclectic cast and it's colorful and I had also at that point I want to say maybe six or seven years earlier had had like a run-in with Madonna you know that had really stuck with me (laughs) and so anytime she did anything I was always sort of hyper conscious of it because I had had this really weird lunch with her and So I feel like we could do a whole hour just on that. <laughs> well, that was, I'll tell you what, it was a really interesting experience that I that I actually was talking about just a couple weeks ago because I never forgot it. And you can't forget it because it was it was so uh, it was so impactful and so weirdly interesting that it just uh, and, and the timing of it all. It's a story in itself. But but that was a hook for me because any after she and I had our lunch, 
which was in 1984. It was at the MT- the very first MTV uh-huh. Music Awards. I mean, briefly, I had I was working on the show, and there was a dust up where she showed up to rehearse. She was going to sing "Like a Virgin," mm-hmm. and in that wedding dress, it was a really infamous thing. <laughs> yeah. And she, it's known. <laughs> yeah, well, she she was there. They weren't ready for her, and and she was kind of raising a bit of a ruckus. And the person <laughs> directing it grabbed me and said, "Get her out of here. Just go around the corner, put a bunch of money in my hand, because take her to lunch. <laughs> you can." Charge her, just go talk to her and come back in like 90 minutes we'll be ready but get her the hell out of here and she's looking like what and I just said come on come on come on I didn't even give her a chance to, to, <laughs> to think about it twice it's, come on, we'll go have a great lunch Let's go. and so we slipped out the side door of Radio City and went and, uh, and had lunch and it was fascinating because she was at that point, she was well-known but not famous. She certainly wasn't a household name. She would be really soon. And it was kind of desperately seeking Susan Era. Like that was what she looked like. Mm. And and it was cool. So she described what she was going to do that night and why she thought it was going to be a big deal. But anyhow, the fact that she was going to be in a league of their own, I thought, was really intriguing. And it made me... It reminded me of just how versatile she was and that she was really at that point capable of just about anything. And I like Tom Hanks. I love Gary. Gary Marshall was just one of my favorite uh, people ever. I knew him a little bit and, and he was like a really interesting guy and a very funny guy. So I had a little bit, not really personal, but at least some, you know, some degree of, of, of personal attachment to some of the people that were in it. And again, as a baseball fan, I, I look forward to any baseball film coming out. I'll always see them whether I like them or not. And I loved that one. I really did. It automatically became a favorite of mine. I'm trying to think. We've talked about how Gary Marshall is used the perfect amount in this movie. Uh, yeah. He and John Lovitz. Well, you know what? He, Gary Marshall, he, okay, there's another film called um, Lost in America with, um, oh, yes. with oh. Alfred Brooks. <laughs> and it's a similar, it reminded me of that in that Gary Marshall plays a casino boss. He's in, he's in one scene. He steals the freaking movie because he's so perfect in that <laughs> role. He's just, and he, you know what I love about him too, He was he's not an actor person. Per se. I mm-hmm. think, you know, he's a great, he was a great director and that made him a good actor, I think, because he worked with great actors and he knew how to get the most out of them. So he in turn got the most out of himself. And I agree. He, you know, he, he's so beautifully used, like Lovitz in that film. Yeah. Uh, they just add so much with such little screen time, but you, you know, they're unforgettable. They, they just bring so much to that party. It's so beautifully done. Do you have a favorite character or is that too mean of a question to ask? <laughs> no, I mean, like I said, I like, Madonna's character a lot, yeah, um, for a lot of reasons. I Tom Hanks's character I thought was really beautifully drawn. But what I like about it is the characters are so specific and so unique. You know, there are people like I'm not. I'm not a Rosie O'Donnell fan. Okay, mm-hmm. I, I I never was, but I like her in the movie. Oh yeah, because I just think the character that's drawn is perfect for her. You know, yes. and I th- I think that movie is so wonderfully cast. You know, and I was I don't know why, but I always think about casting when I see a movie of you know was that the right person? And that movie, you know, person to person, I think it's perfectly cast. Literally, I don't think there's one mistake made, and it's what makes it such a great. I like movies that are ensemble pieces as well, like that, mm-hmm. where the the great lines are so. Spread, spread around and there's a lot of balance with, with who gets to do what. I thought the directing was really good. It's a really, in a way, it's kind of a, like you said, classic Hollywood movie and we don't have that era anymore. It was sort of, it's funny. It's still, it, it feels much more old school than it really is, you know, because it just, the way it's done is so classic of the way great films were originally made. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to feel very old in my life watching movies from the early mid-90s. <laughs> oh, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. And a lot 
lot of people have been posting 90s commercials because of the last dance <laughs> coming out and everything. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, I love all this. I remember all this, but it feels like a million years ago. Yeah. No, I know. It, it's it really is strange. It's not that long ago, but it's um, but, you know, it, but it is because because yeah. again, just movies. I mean, I'll give you an idea that MTV award show that I referenced that Madonna was performing and that was 1984. The hosts, the two hosts at that time who would have been like considered the hippest for MTV. It was Dan Aykroyd and Bette Midler. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) As a snapshot, that really Mm kind of gives you an idea about where just, again, that's 84. But again, it it was just a different time, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know. I think also, you know, in addition to to the big stars that are in there too, I think the supporting cast is really good. Like I said, Mm -hmm. it's really well cast. And and I think it's spread out really well, you know, as well. And it was an absolute delight. I watched the commentary track that's on the Blu-ray for this. And it's... Yeah. Oh, I haven't seen it. I bet that's good. That's a good. Yeah, is good. It's yeah. Penny Marshall, Lori Petty, Megan Cavanaugh, and Tracy Reiner. Yeah. And oh wow. I think one of my favorite things about it is when they do like the baseball montages. And stuff. <laughs> They're just like yelling out the names of people, like, "Oh, she was awesome. Do you remember that? You yeah. know, she went to this day with me and <laughs> threw out the first pitch here. And it's it's just really delightful, like yeah. how quick they are to be like, "Oh, there's Ann. There's Ann. There's Ann." <laughs> like as soon as someone makes a throw or something. And you can't even see who it is. It's like from the side behind and their hair is wet in their face. <laughs> I'll have to watch that. Yeah. And like I said, I was aware, you know, the fact that Penny Marshall had seen the documentary from the late 80s mm-hmm. called The League of Their Own. I mm-hmm. always thought that was interesting as well. You know, I was glad that that was adapted like that. And I'm glad, yeah. you know, when somebody can see something and envision something else coming from it, I thought that was uh, that was really interesting as well. The origin of the film, and also my the thing too the uh, the device of you know I'm a big flashback fan. I'm, I'm emotionally I get very vested when you know that a story is going to kind of be thrown back because you know at some point they're going to return to present day. And I remember seeing the film that struck me. I, I, again, as as a as a device, I'm always a big fan of that, and I think they use that beautifully. Mm-hmm. Trying to see, I included when I did I did this book called Roadside Baseball, and um, it's all about you know historic location around the country so <laughs> that's what i had bookmarked when i when yeah. you first started talking i was like i could picture the cover but could not come up with the title yeah so i pulled up the page to be like all right i gotta remember to say it's roadside baseball yeah well that i went and, you know obviously you know didn't just visit the sites where the real baseball was played but also where the where the movie was filmed in indiana mm. and some other places because i always get a kick out of uh with a baseball film where there's really a diamond that you can go yeah. to um mm-hmm. i like to go have a catch there you know and there's like my other one of my other favorite baseball films is bad the original bad news bears and i don't know if you like that one but i was a kid like i was i was in little league when that came out so that was weird because it was like they basically just shot our team i mean it was was so personal i knew every kid on that team because they were teammates of mine you know and they shot that out in the san fernando valley but when they went to shoot it in the in the i think it was in canoga park they actually built the diamond for the film and then left it for the little league's play there today but they left it for the city after they were done filming which is kind of neat so um so yeah in indiana there's a place called huntingtonburg that's where they you know obviously shot a league stadium there which is a nice landmark to go see it breaks my heart because i absolutely intended to go visit the original four locations and a lot of them like the original racing isn't a bell's field isn't there but the 
the complex is. So like, it's kind of still the, or uh, I think it's the one they moved to. So it was like, oh, I could do the original four. And then the summer hit. And I was like, mm, mm. that's not happening in the next few months. But no, but, but listen, yeah. it's, a, it's a fun road trip. And I, I really yeah. think it's a great way to connect. And I've been to all the sites for the book that every film, every main baseball film was shot at, whether it's. Wow. Bull Durham or League of Their Own or The Natural or whatever. I mean, some are there, some are not, but it's still fun to kind of go back. The weird one for me was The uh, the Sandlot, because again, I love oh, that cool. film. Yeah. And that, where they play that field is actually in outside of Salt Lake City in Utah. Oh, wow. <laughs> and yeah, and it's weird. And it's just this private guy's home and it's this big field. It's still wow. there. <laughs> uh, neighborhood's a bit challenged, but, uh, but still fun to go kind of, again, just imagine what it was like the day they were making that. <laughs> and that's one of my top baseball movies too. See, oh, my dad really? grew up in California. Yeah, for, you know, they live there for about five or six years, and you know, growing up when he did elementary to middle, you know, that age, it's like that's that's uh, how I would imagine like him growing up, kind yeah. of during that time. It's like that was that. I wonder <laughs> is that your I life? I wonder if they overlapped because I have a picture of my dad in his little league uniform. He was in La Mirada in like the early sixties. <laughs> oh, really? Really? <laughs> so I I wonder if uh, all our dads were playing little. Oh, that'd league. be amazing. <laughs> well, listen. Listen, you know, movies about Little League, if, if you if you played in Little League a lot, I mean, like I did, and, and it sounds like your dad, you know, a film like The Sandlot or Bad News Bears, it, it really touches you. I mean, it really it really gets you. The other thing I will tell you that I really loved about the film was the soundtrack. I thought that was a really compelling timepiece of a soundtrack. And I remember getting it, like, right after it came out. This movie... My, my best friend and I were obsessed with this movie. She had the soundtrack for A League of Their Own on cassette. And we were like, this is awesome. And we put it on and we were underwhelmed <laughs> because we were not expecting that much James Taylor. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, but but again, it, it, the older songs on there, it reminded me, mm-hmm. it was sort of like a, a Paper Moon kind of soundtrack. It was very throwback and, mm-hmm. and very evocative of that era. And, uh, you know, just a whole different generation. I mean, I had a lot of uncles and things that went to war at that time and so I, I always heard a lot of that music growing up in New York mm-hmm. you know and uh, and again it was like not every movie had a soundtrack back then but this one did and I thought it yeah. represented it well I mean again the whole production everything that came from it was really invigorating it was it was a good time for that film too I think I mean baseball I think it helped baseball I think it gave baseball in general a good shot in the arm it certainly did well I remember I think it was pretty well received critically right I mean it was yeah we should look up some reviews and stuff, but definitely, yeah. I mean, I don't... Yeah. As I remember... It was always positive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like... But I think I remember why maybe watching Siskel and Ebert. I do remember I do I used to read all Vincent Camby's reviews in the New York Times. That to me was like gospel. I thought he was the best writer. And I remember he really liked it. I mean, I remember he really enjoyed it, and that to me was a good seal of approval. Yeah, I have to admit, I was younger than you, and so I was not reading reviews <laughs> and mostly how we decided what movies we were going to bug our parents to see was what movies there were ads for before on the on the cassette tape on the videotape oh, before yeah. <laughs> a movie you already owned right. and so i i recently referenced something that was like i'm gonna see this movie for the first time but i started it with a joke from the movie and people were like well how do you know that i'm like because the ad for this was on a, a video i owned and i saw that ad approximately seven thousand times in my childhood <laughs> <laughs> so i remember that line and yeah you end up following some questionable things but this one did not lead us 
Artemis Astray. This was, like you said, just the whole production, everything about it was class, was A plus across the boards. Well, what I think is interesting too is that it's found this, I think, other life. I, I don't know how old you are, but there's a there's a millennial sense with this movie where it's, I love the fascination with it. I love that it, it lives on and has the legs that it does because not a lot of movies do from that period. Because it is, I mean, you know, it's long enough. Plenty of movies from that period are not thought of today in any kind mm-hmm. of way, but this, this one is. And I think the fact that it had a lot of memorable lines, a lot of quotable lines really helped it. I think, you know, Penny Marshall becoming a really maverick director at that point yeah. and uh, having such great box office success. I think that was good in general. Just, you know, again, it was so appropriate that a woman directed this film, you know? And I think that was a nice, in that time period was important as well. So it just, it accomplished a lot, I think, beyond just being a great movie, is its influence today with young women is still very much there. And I think that's important. Culturally relevant. Oh, yeah, it is. No, it is. It's, it's, it's aged it's, well. And, yeah. It definitely is. Yes. What a treat to have a movie that aged well. Yeah. Yeah, there's a few. I mean, there's a few. I was watching, what, I watched Moonstruck the other night. Oh. And I was worried because I loved that when it came out. And at the beginning, mm-hmm. I was like, it's still holding up. But it did in the end. But it's it's hard, you know. Yeah. But I think this movie is done with such grace and, and timelessness that, you know, in 20, 30 years, it'll still be a, not just a really good baseball movie, but a really good movie about the human condition and about mm-hmm. friendship and teamwork and, and courage and all those things. Thematically, I think it's so powerful that it'll be it'll absolutely stand a test of time unlike a lot of movies from the era now oh go ahead i was gonna say so would you have watched a four-hour cut of this movie like we we had discussed (laughs) earlier that the original cut for this had gone at least four hours totally Totally. Yeah. I mean, I look, you know, if you're dealing with a great movie to begin with, okay, the four-hour cut may become cumbersome at some point, but I'd like to see more. I mean, I, yeah. similar, I was a huge fan of the movie and remain a big fan of the movie Spinal Tap. This is Spinal Tap. Oh, okay. And... I remember when I moved to California, getting to know the director of photography, and he goes, well, I've got like a four and a half hour cut. Do you want to see it? And I said, hell yeah. He goes, yeah. well, it may, it may let you down. I said, well, I just want to see the thinking. I want to see oh, those yeah. people and those characters. Mm-hmm. I may not love it all, but I want to see where they were at. And we watched it, and I th- I said, hey, I'm, I'm glad the movie wound up being what it was, but mm-hmm. I, I definitely think it was enriching to watch stuff that didn't make it in and think yeah. about why it didn't make it in. But, but oh, there was yeah. so much backstory that whenever I watch the movie again today, I think of that cut because I know more about the characters mm-hmm. and it enhances the shorter version. I mean, it didn't deserve to be a four-hour movie, but it definitely makes the two-hour movie more enjoyable <laughs> because you know kind of what they what they tried, what worked, what didn't mm-hmm. work. So I think the same thing would probably hold true here. So you saw the four-hour version? No. I, I, I don't think anyone but like Penny and a few people. Right, yeah. I, I, right. I knew it wasn't released. I didn't know if you had yeah. some in, inside track. Yeah. Or something. No, I do love though. It's so funny when you're saying that because I was joking. I was like, I would watch the coverage she shot. We're like, yeah. everyone oh, catch yeah. a pop fly. Everyone catch a, gra- you know, like well, just right, all right. the extra, everyone feel yeah. the grounder. Yeah. But one thing I love is the deleted scenes that are yes. on the, like the DVD special features. Some of them are deleted, cut from the movie. Some of them are deleted, never made it to being finalized. So she talks yeah. about like they didn't bother, you know, they didn't do color correction on yeah. some of them because <laughs> yeah. by the time they got to that process they're like well we're we're not using this we're just gonna <laughs> cut this part but the deleted scene is not like raw footage but it's just so interesting to see it look it feels more real <laughs> oh it does and like we said you know it's neat to see where they 
were going to take this story and some of the characters. I think it's really funny that I sometimes violently disagree with Penny Marshall. She's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, I hated losing this. And I'm like, no, it's the right decision. It, yeah, I hate this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's just only a couple, but but yeah. <laughs> I also like, you know, again, being a baseball history fan, I like the fact that Gary Marshall's character, I mean, knowing that it was based on Wrigley, I thought that was interesting yeah. as well. But to me, with this film, the more you know about baseball, the more fun it is to sort of realize who the, what the composites were, <laughs> what certain uh. things were based on. Because there's, there's a lot of that, that that you can pick up on as well. I have to recommend to all our listeners, if they are into it, to read Vec is in Rec. Bill Veck's autobiography. Oh, it's the best. Oh. It's the because best. It just, it touches on so many different things. Like now people mention all these baseball history things and I'm like, oh yeah, no, no, I remember. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's a really nice overview of that. And it spans so much time that that was a really good, like, easy to read introduction to like, oh, are you going to get into baseball history? You should probably read this book. <laughs> well, yeah, Bill Veck was a real showman. And, and Bill Veck was the kind of guy who believed in entertaining, giving the fans their money's worth. As he, <laughs> he was as much a promoter as he was an owner and a manager and all that, general manager. But was he, Jim? No, I guess just owner. But no, he, he definitely changed the game. And, and made things fun for people and you know he was you know that's one thing I think baseball is lacking today is that kind of colorful character that can take risks and be a little bit crazy I mean things have become a bit homogenized you know where you go ballpark to ballpark and there's kind of a sameness to a lot of there's still some great parks but you know the quirkiness and stuff you don't you don't really see uh, as much as that as he used to I mean he just did things he he would have goats in the outfield during games like keeping the grass (laughs) trim I mean just you know great giveaways and just, just all kinds of things that we take for granted today mm-hmm. um you know he was behind and then even i agree with you a great great ballpark memoir yeah that's a great i'm trying to think of like what else i've read around this era but i'm in the weeds lately mm-hmm. <laughs> pictures <laughs> you know i i wish a lot of the female players from this period i wish there were more memoirs uh first person yeah. narratives versus just history books i think that would be really interesting the biography I have of Dottie Kamenshek uh-huh. is written for young adults. Yeah. Like, yeah. it is a kid's book and a whole new ball game, which is how I first got really into this. Like, most of my sources are either oh, yeah. written for children, like, they're supposed to inspire little girls to go out and try playing baseball, or there are these incredibly dense <laughs> mystery <laughs> books. Yeah. And I just, it's its a little hard to uh, to say like, ah, a good recommendation. Like, here's a starting point. <laughs> There's not a lot. And it would have been great if somebody had done an oral history with a lot of the players a couple of decades ago just there, to capture, you know. There is someone who did an interviews. And it drives me nuts because it's now, incre- it was only in the 90s, I think, but it's now incredibly hard to find this book. And I, I was finding like the Boston Public Library system has it is in library reference only or something oh, like yeah. that and i always get so frustrated when these books i'm mean, like what is this is this bound in gold what is going on <laughs> so that would be curious to track down maybe that will cross my path someday but i'm really hoping like there's the netflix documentary that just came out yeah. a secret love abby jacobson's working on a tv series yeah. so i'm hoping that like the same way this movie kind of reinvents 
reinvigorated things and got people talking about the league again, yeah, those will also be an influence. Well, listen, yeah, there, there's plenty of great, rich storytelling within that era, and certainly with the movie generated those those the women that it was based on and some of the other characters. So it's there. I mean, if somebody wants to take the time to do it, I think there will always be an interest in it. And that movie, again, I think uh, it's done with such style, and I think with such intelligence. That's what's going to make it last. You know, it never to me it doesn't feel dated at all and and i think that's a again a testament to penny marshall and just how the whole thing was written and cast and everything just top to bottom it's got everything going for it how did you like in terms of characters you like i mean how did gina davis's character factor in for you did you like her performance with your favorite performances because she's one again that i really liked in the film i love gina davis as a baseball player like i've real like she is just so good as dottie Mm -hmm. wonderful it's it's really hard because i quote unquote was a kit growing up and so i will always have that bias (laughs) in my heart where i'm like no but she jumped in in the stadium at the end when she wins the one hand in the air and she jumps Mm -hmm. and says thank you thank you and like i'm always gonna be a little bit biased but yeah i uh gina davis has just blown me away i've just recently watched thelma and louise for the first time yeah oh it is even knowing everything i knew it was not what i was expecting (laughs) it was phenomenal no it's brilliant absolutely i couldn't believe how good that movie was and i'm sitting here in 2020 watching it it's fantastic she was great i'm i just last year saw desperately seeking susan for the first time actually too i'm going through and like all these movies that i know as cultural touchstones, but never actually sat down and watched. I'm going yeah. through and, and taking care well, of Well, I thought for Madonna, I thought she was the biggest, it was the biggest stretch. And I think it was the riskiest one yeah. in terms of where they were at in their career, what what the perception of the of them was. You know, would people buy her as a, as a baseball player? Mm-hmm. I mean, the other, you know, Gina Davis, you, you get it, they're actors. So you, you, you're going to go with that. But I thought Madonna really, again, from where she was at that point, a very controversial pop culture figure you know breaking all kinds of rules left and right (laughs) and you forget in the film you forget Madonna and I think that was she had the biggest challenge of doing that because she Mm -hmm. was just so embedded in everyone's psyche and so many different versions at that point you know and she she manages to do it and again I I think for her it was really you know an important role it just it proved that she could uh, that she could act and she could just make you forget what she had you know spent years working so hard you know it's a much different challenge than I I think any of the other actors. I mean, you know, you see Tom Hanks, you expect him to be good because he had a good reputation as an actor, but Madonna was such a wild card and she, mm-hmm. I think that's why I always gravitated toward her character because I think the stakes were probably a lot higher for her yeah. coming from what she was, from her, you know, what she does for a living, basically. Yeah, she could have been awful in this yeah. movie. <laughs> she could have been and she's done other films and things. She's a but fantastic I think, actress. Yeah. She's a very good actress, but I think as a baseball player, again, it was just mm-hmm. so incongruous from what we thought of her at that point and she's great you know she's, yeah I, I but I, I agree i think yeah. she's a good actress as well i thought you mentioned desperate and susan i thought she was terrific in that that's where you, you mm-hmm. start to see that she's got a lot of potential i think camera loves her you know she knows uh, how to play a part and stuff so so yeah, yeah i think yeah. this was just a high mark for her as an actress 
And I just love seeing her and um, Doris or Rosie O'Donnell's character. Just the interplay with those two characters are some of my favorite. (laughs) But you've got that with other, you've got other moments like that where the chemistry, you know, character to character is so unique depending on who's on screen, you know. Mm -hmm. And and again, that gets back to a testament to the casting, you know, that they related to each other and they had these what felt like very real relationships. And it just makes it work. You know, it's a Hollywood movie, yet we buy into them as if they're real yeah speaking of buying into things (laughs) i have to ask the the question the question where you stand on did Dottie drop the ball on purpose and the world series (laughs) can i tell you i i honestly i've gone back and forth on that so i'm not sure i even have a clear answer i think it's i think it's so highly debatable i mean (laughs) you know what i mean it's um which to be fair is a sign of a good like it's well you can argue it either way (laughs) i still go back and forth i mean for a long time I was hardcore like she did on purpose and then I was like ah maybe she didn't but I'm like I still I don't know I don't know Because every time, you know, somebody talks about it, it's like, oh, gosh, I don't know. I didn't think about that. (laughs) I think, okay, I think I love the fact that it generates the debate that it does. I will tell you this, percentage-wise, I'm probably more in the camp that she didn't drop the ball on purpose. If I had to, like, if I had to pick one, Mm -hmm. you know, if you were going to hold a gun to my head. But, but again, (laughs) you can argue it both ways. And that, that, to me, is just, that makes it a more interesting movie, you know, that it's not so obvious. What do you all think? Do you all have a strong point of view about whether she did or not? I I don't know. I think I'm more in the camp of she didn't after, you know, rewatching the movie a few times and just, you know, kind of picking up on things earlier in that same game. So I think if I absolutely had to pick, I'd probably say she did not do it on purpose. I always thought she didn't do it on purpose. Like when whenever I hear that collision between Dottie and Kit, my ribs know that she didn't. Dr- yeah. Like <laughs> she's not going to be able to hold on to the ball. There was a really good article a number of years ago, I think in Cosmopolitan, just about this topic. You've probably read it. And I remember thinking, wow, the writer really laid out, I mean, made a case for, did not drop the ball on purpose, but explored all the different, you know, the, the real kind of psychodrama <laughs> behind it yeah and, and how she got there but but again it's like it's sort of like when people would debate the end of Casablanca you know about <laughs> where that relationship would go at the end and what it really meant and what was saying goodbye to so I think it's great when a movie you know engages you on that level yeah. uh, without giving you the answers I think that's really important that it kind of lets you make up your own mind mm-hmm. and that's again but that's a debate that's raged since the movie came out <laughs> exactly <Yeah. laughs> and it will still be raging in 50 years <laughs> no yeah. exactly exactly and and I like that the, you know, I don't think Penny Marshall ever, you know, they never really gave it either way, did they? I mean, so it's fun. Again, it's another thing that makes the movie really fun is just that idea of leaving it up to you and, and having just a fun thing to debate like that in the middle of all the other great stuff that's going on. Yeah. I'm trying to think if we have any other kind of ongoing, that's our big, like, must remember to pull <laughs> all guests. Yeah. Well, you have to. I mean, that's, you know, obviously you've got to go there. But I think the fact that you're just that you've you know, built sort of proverbial fire around this film like you have, I think it's really a great thing. That's also a testament to what the movie does, the fact that you dedicate time and energy and passion and, and creativity to celebrating the movie. That's great. I mean, that you know, I love the fact that you, this is your, this is your film. <laughs> I mean, it's going <laughs> to... 
occupy you like this and I think that's that's incredible you know we've all got our our films like that that we we can never let go of and Mm -hmm. that this is yours I think is a real you know it's obviously a great testament to the filmmaking but you know it's just touched you in a way that you'll never let it go and hopefully in 10 or 20 years you're still obsessing over this film about why you love it so much (laughs) and and why it's touched you and I think that's a good thing about this film is you know as time goes on it's I mean you know the women in baseball is still not as widely known as it could be so it's you know as the generations go on it gets to be that jewel that can continually be introduced and brought back and brought back to yeah you're right it definitely has there's there's an educational component to it as much fun as the film is it, it still is i think has is very serious about what these women stepped up and did at mm-hmm. a time time when they did it it allows you to have a conversation about what the role of of a woman was during that period and how this was not easy and i think people do absolutely forget those things about how different the world was and how they were you know again culturally it was it was a different time and so that's there's a charm to that story but again it's very important too to let other young women know that they're you, you can do things like this no matter what you know and the world is still not as perfectly balanced as it probably should be and so there's always going to be challenges in a film of this just reminds you that you know these are things worth fighting for and worth doing and uh, finding your voice so to speak and, and getting these things done so yeah I definitely think socially there's a, there's a great message yeah. in here as well well that's a beautiful sentiment to end on but of course I'm going to open it up and say was there anything you wanted to talk about in the movie that we haven't touched on yet no i mean that's the one hard thing about not doing it one minute at a time is i feel like we really gotta (laughs) gotta cover all bases here (laughs) yeah so to speak no i mean like i said i i you've made me want to go sit and watch it like tonight you know (laughs) because like anything talking about it you start remembering things i remember when i saw it i remember having sort of debate conversations with fellow baseball fans some of whom got it some of whom didn't Hmm. and that was a good vigorous kind of discussion from time to time to have but no i think i will go watch it again because a i'm missing baseball and b I haven't seen it for a little while, and I want to. I want to remind myself again. You know, the film just looked different <laughs> all the way back then, <laughs> but there is a texture to it. You know, it's sort of devoid of special effects and all that. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like it's just real. Everything's happening in real time in front of yeah. you. It has an earthiness to it and a tone that I think is really good. It feels like a kind of an old time film, and not just because of when it supposedly takes place. So um, yeah, missing baseball. I think that's what I'll fire up next on my baseball. Awesome watch list will be a league of their own all because of this conversation (laughs) nice well and i i put this on the list because to me it feels like summer a lot of baseball movies Mm. you get that there's always the late in the season game where it's just so hot yeah players are just sweating and you just feel feel that yeah you feel the flow (laughs) of the summer you start in the spring and you move through it all that and then by the end of the movie you've got all the fall tones are coming into it exactly and and you've but you're watching Ah. them wear flannel like flannel uniforms and (laughs) again the texture is very real and i think they did a really good job in terms of accurately depicting you know what it was like what they were wearing and all that i know some liberties but it certainly Mm -hmm. felt real to me and yeah you're right that sense of summer to me at heart 
harkens back to like as a kid going to Yankee Stadium. To me, it was the smell of two things. It was beer and cigars. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and I loved that. I love. I wish they allowed that. Cigars, at least in ballparks, because that to me was the smell of baseball. Yeah. You know, and it, that's what it evokes. A film like that takes you back to that time period where that's what you would have in the stands and just that sense of community and, you know, local fan base like that. No, it's very well done. I'm actually now super anxious to go watch it again. Yeah. <laughs> I would recommend if you can find, uh, I'm not sure, I know on the Blu-ray they have them like readily available, but the deleted scenes, if you get a chance. That'll be my next my, my next endeavor to kind of uh, yeah. deconstruct a little bit more because I have not done that with this movie and I probably should. So I thank you for that, uh, that suggestion. Well, listeners, go check out Chris Epting's Roadside Baseball. There's a expanded second edition. Mm-hmm. Actually, now we're up to a third edition of that. Whoa, wait. <laughs> yeah. I told Totally missed that. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Third edition. Don't be sorry. There'll, and there'll be a fourth someday and hopefully a fifth. <laughs> it, it's ongoing because thankfully people keep identifying historic places and having oh, cool. plaques placed and doing all that. So hopefully yeah. it'll just go on and on and it certainly will outlive me and I'll pass the torch off to somebody else at that point because I want it to be an ongoing kind of research project. Never ending for the best of reasons. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much yes, for joining us you. and talking about my this. My pleasure, ladies. Thank you for the invite. This was really fun. This was a nice way to be thinking about baseball during this voyage. (laughs) I appreciate it. Have a great movie night. I will. Thank you very much. Thanks again for the invite. This was really fun. That should be my PSA on this episode. It's like, if you are a baseball player, you need to make your own decisions. And then I will probably cry. (laughs) Because I don't know if you saw um, Brock Holt's Instagram. Mm -mm. Oh, So his wife is pregnant with their second kid. So he's going to play and he's going to isolate from them for three months. Oh my god! While he's playing. He's not going to have any interaction with his toddler son or his pregnant wife. I mean, he'll have interaction, but like he won't touch, he won't be with them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so funny because when I first saw the Instagram post, it was a long caption and I just kind of read the beginning, which was like, I've been so grateful to have the past few months with my family. Like, and it was like, oh, okay. And I liked the photo. And then I saw a reference to it. I'm like, wait a minute. I went back and read the whole thing. And he's like, and now I have three months without them. I'm like, my heart has been stabbed. (laughs) But we'll we'll see what happens. You're starting to get trickling of reports now of who's gonna play and who isn't. And yeah, Sean Doolittle's wife went off on people on Twitter, and I was like, yeah, because <laughs> she's high risk. Okay. And someone commented on his post, like saying, like I'm still figuring out. Like tell your weak wife to shut up, and she's like, <gasps> oh man, I will end you, sir. Like. <laughs> Oh, my. She shouldn't have had to say it, but it was, like, the ultimate, like, get the popcorn. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it's been a very emotional week for following baseball players on social media. (laughs) But I'm so excited because I looked at the results for the MVP votes. Yeah. And there's always going to be part of me that's always rooting for a crazy underdog to win it. But I really liked the win this week. Yeah. For the second inning, the yeah. tryouts and charm school and all that. We have our first trophy for Doris and May, who totally live together in their retirement, so they can just share <laughs> it. <laughs> we only 
probably have to send one, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to continue to be amazing and are each amazing in their own ways. But I was really glad that 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 came together for them. Did you have any thoughts on who should be an MVP nominee? That's so much fun to say for the third inning. Yes, I do have some thoughts. Lay it on me. Um, I think for sure we have to have Jimmy Dugan. Yes. And Ellen Sue, because she takes out that heckler like nobody's business. Oh, yeah. And then, I don't know. Those are my two for sure's. After that, I'm like, I, I don't know. Like, I kind of want to say Dottie because she hits that game-winning run. But then I also, I kind of want to say Ira Lowenstein because, you know, when he talks to Jimmy in the dugout. That's true. Ira is really good in this section. Let's put a pin in Ira because I could see that. I got to think about it more. I thought definitely Jimmy. I was mm-hmm. even debating, like, do we need to split it up? Like, Jimmy in the locker room, Jimmy after the game. And it's like, no, no, no. He's just awesome. He's Jimmy Dugan. I yeah. mean, he's a jerk at this point, but... He's hilarious. And Ellen Sue, obviously, this is her time to shine. Yeah. I would like to nominate Penny Marshall with her hose and her bucket. <laughs> making oh, the that's a noise. good idea. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that if, you, if you're looking at most valuable contributions to this, I think that's a big one. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. I like that. <laughs> yeah and you know what i think maybe our fourth nominee should be ira lowenstein because he sticks up for them he's at that first game as you guys pointed out to me like he's probably the only person from management who like realizes that game is today and yeah, bothered to go. <laughs> so i think he's earned it and he puts up with jimmy which is not an easy feat <laughs> and he gets tobacco spit on his shoe his nicely oh shined God. shoe <laughs> yeah that's a great that's a great poll. Yeah, I really like the newsreel and how much fun we had just embarrassing the crap out of Jeff and Chris when they were on and <laughs> talking to... I, why are there only so many names for men that there were two Chris's involved in the third inning? But <laughs> yeah, getting to hear some of Chris Upting's stories were great. Although it did oh, make yeah. me miss my traveling plan for this oh, summer. I know. Which obviously is not happening. Uh, yeah. But no visits to ask Astabula, Ohio for us. <laughs> but yeah, I, I like those those four nominees. Yeah, me too. In case this is the first time you're listening, what we will do is we will post a poll where you can vote for your MVP nominee. That will be on our Twitter at VCR Privileges and in our Facebook group, The Dugout with Dugan. You can vote either place and the poll will be up for one week. Well, I think we're ready to move on into color and watch some baseball. What a concept, right? <laughs> Actually, will this come out in time? I'm uh, I'm going to watch the 1999 All-Star Game on the 4th of July. I will be pressing play on it. The entire thing is on YouTube. And when I say the entire thing, I don't just mean the All-Star Game. I mean the <laughs> ceremony at oh, Fenway the- Park ahead of time. This thing is three plus hours. <laughs> <laughs> so I will not be diligently in the Discord chat. But I will have it open the whole time. So I'm encouraging everyone to watch along if you want. Just because I was like, we're not really doing anything. But having a baseball game on on the 4th of July feels right. Yeah. That's what I miss. I miss just having a game on. That's the best. (laughs) Well, hopefully I will talk to you soon about more baseball. And uh, in the meantime, do you have anything else? 
I don't really think so. Okay. I was just excited to think up all my nominees. I did uh, love, I was re-watching the clip right before we came on, and I paused it in the locker room, and when Jimmy Dugan comes in and Ellen Sue does her, hi! <laughs> yeah. So she's really firing on all the cylinders. This is her, this yeah. <laughs> she's the one that has that tooth tooth whitening. She walks oh, around yeah. the dugout with a toothpaste or tooth whitening <laughs> things. She's far more dedicated than I, obviously. <laughs> well, unlike that heckler, you and I will always say, Go, Go Peaches! peaches. Enjoy that? Good. Well, come back next game, will you? Good hit.